Hosea 11. Hosea chapter 11. Let's hear the word of God. (coughs) When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with the cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities, and shall consume his branches, and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people, my people, are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. They shall walk After the Lord, he shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then shall the children tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Ephraim compasseth me about with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. May God bless the reading of his word to our minds and souls. Dear church family, how is, how's your week going? Preparatory week. Often it goes, doesn't it, less well than we hoped. Often we have good intentions, but the distractions of life, infirmities of our flesh, cause us to postpone preparation or to ignore it even. And we, we realize that without the Lord, 
we can do nothing but sin. And we have nothing but guilt. It's a sad reality. Even sometimes with God's people, I read to you verse 7 of this chapter, Hosea 11, that God complains, my people are bent. That means you're prone to backslide from me, from this good God. So whatever we attribute to ourselves as believers, beyond or above sin and guilt, without God's grace, is simply false, simply wrong. The Lord often teaches us this lesson in challenging ways, in painful ways. From the time we're born again, God teaches us in all kinds of ways, in his academy of free grace, without me, ye can do nothing. We can't even bring ourselves to the Lord. That's true of our initial coming, when we're regenerated, as well as our continued coming in the way of sanctification. We are just radically dependent on the Holy Spirit for all genuine coming to Christ. And Jesus makes that, as you well know, abundantly plain, doesn't he, in John 6. So we don't need any better inward proof of our natural depravity than the simple experiential fact that we can't of ourselves, unassisted by God, come to Jesus' feet in truth, even when we know that's where we must come and should come, especially in preparatory week. But, good news, when God draws us to Jesus, By His Spirit, our entire spiritual condition changes radically. Our our soul troubles vanish. And we want our souls to encamp at the feet of Jesus forever. And then we want to tell, we want to tell the, the entire church, well, the entire world, how wonderful this Savior is as Jesus, as Lord, our treasure, our all in and all. Our hearts are then set ablaze of, with love for Him and for never dying souls. But sadly, we can wander even from that beautiful communion with Christ so easily again and backslide again from our first love, from our, from our second love, from our third love, as it were. And we go astray until God, by God and for God and through God, brings us back to himself. And so this is the beauty of grace. It empties us of ourselves and it fills us with himself. So that when we can do nothing... He comes to draw us. When we are nothing, 
He appears to make himself everything. When we have nothing, he opens up his rich storehouse of free grace. When we are weak, he is strong to draw us back to himself once more. To prepare us once more for sweet communion with him at the Lord's Supper. And for our entire spiritual pilgrimage to bring us to his rest and his nourishment as we travel on our way to his glory. Well, that's what I want to look at with you tonight. This precious subject of God's drawing grace to himself. From Hosea 11:4, these words, I drew them, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. And I was to them as they that did take off the yokes on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. So what I want to do tonight in this very brief sermon, I want to look both tonight and Sunday morning at this theme of bands of love. Bands of love. In three thoughts, we'll just take thought one tonight. Divine drawing. So I'm only going to speak tonight just on these narrow words. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. And then God willing, on Sunday morning, we want to look at thoughts two and three. Divine rest. Divine rest. I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws. And then thirdly, divine nourishment. And I laid meat Unto them. So tonight, just divine drawing under the theme of bands of love, and Sunday morning, divine rest and divine nourishment under this theme of bands of love. Divine drawing. What beautiful words these are. And so consistent with the whole book of Hosea, the gospel book of Hosea. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. Like so many of the other prophets, Hosea really deals with God's relationship with his people, the people of Israel. And there's three beautiful themes that break out of this book, shine in this book, like the bright stars in a dark night. God's electing love. God's sovereign grace. God's amazing faithfulness to his people. Hosea is really about God and his stupendous grace. And therefore, this beautiful text, Hosea 11 verse 4, focuses on God. I like to call it a triple I text. You see all the I's in it, and they're all God. I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws. I laid meat to them. You see, God is saying, I'm your salvation. I drew you, Israel. It was my work, my love, my grace, my faithfulness from beginning to end, that drew you to me, or you never would have come to me. I initiated, 
our love relationship. So that you can say with John, we love Him because He first loved us. You didn't begin it. You didn't keep it. You didn't draw yourself. You, can, you can't find rest in yourself. You can't nourish yourself. But I do it all. I'm the triple I. I drew you. I will give you rest. I will lay meat before you. And so in all your failures of preparatory week and in all my failures, this is what we need to hear. Midweek, don't we? I, I, I. That's what we need. God will take care. God will draw us. God will feed us. God will give us rest. I drew them. I drew them. Them. Them is, is you, dear believer. This is the amazing, electing, sovereign grace love of God. But we're no different than Israel by nature. We too are prone to backslide from our God. And we hate it. Don't you hate it when you backslide from God? Don't you hate it when you're prone to wander? Prone to go the wrong way? You have to say with David, I've gone away like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. And yes, we too must confess with Paul, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know, sometimes I think about this. Have you ever thought about this? That when you compare what God's people in Scripture and what many of the well-known saints in ages past in church history have said about themselves, have said about themselves, it almost seems like they're competing with each other to make themselves as bad as they can possibly be. Just let me give you a few of them. David, my loins are filled with loathsome disease. There's no soundness in my flesh. It's pretty bad. Daniel, Daniel, the godly Daniel, my comeliness is turned into corruption. Martin Luther. When a man like me comes to know his own heart, he's not only miserable, he's absolute misery itself. The godly, Christ-centered, loving Samuel Rutherford. When I look at the sinfulness of my own heart, my salvation is to me the greatest miracle the Lord Jesus ever performed. Now, over against all that are these three precious words. I drew them. I. What a contrast between the I and the them. The holy God, the sinless one, drew them. You, the sinful one, the unworthy one. You see, when you see who is doing the drawing, and you see who is being drawn, that will take all of eternity to embrace the wonder of that. I drew you. 
You know, we had a student preaching, practice preaching sermon today, as, as is normal. It was actually, actually just a wonderful sermon on the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And he made a statement that has uh, stuck with me all day. It's just, just beautiful. He said, Christ is more willing to give his drawing mercy and his sovereign grace than we are willing to sin. We are just so willing to sin by nature. But you see, the point is we're finite and he's infinite and he has more desire to give grace than we even have desire to sin. That's incredible. Knowing our sinful nature. I drew them. This is my heart. I'm in the business of saving sinners. I'm in the business of drawing sinners. A triple I. It reminds us, doesn't it, of the triune God. The triune God is filled with sovereign grace. I drew you. I want to look at with you, and these are my, my three points really for under this first point for tonight, that God the Father draws us, and God the Son draws us, and God the Holy Spirit draws us. And what do I mean by that? Well, I think it's worthy to spend the rest of our short time tonight just looking at the drawing power of each person of the Trinity. I drew them. God the Father is speaking. This drawing is grounded in His sovereign good pleasure from all eternity. It's grounded in His amazing eternal love flowing, flowing from His heart. The heart of His majestic, holy, sin-hating being. From that heart that hates sin, he says to his people, but I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, Jeremiah 31.3, have I drawn thee. If you're a believer, and you, in God's eyes, are a worthy recipient, come Sunday morning, to come to this table, You know at least a little bit of that, don't you? You wish you knew more, of course. But you know a little bit of it, of being drawn by the Father. Those sweet moments of drawing in which God conquers your heart and your heart runs after Him. And and you you hardly dare to say it, but but you cried out with Asaph, Whom have I, Lord, in heaven but Thee? And there's none on earth that I desire beside Thee. Oh, Thou hast drawn me. To see thy amazing grace, thy amazing love. And you see, that's what you want. That's what you desire deep inside of you when you come to the Lord's Supper. You want that drawing power again to lift you up, to raise you up into heavenly places, to feel the love, the power of God, the Father, in His Son, by His Spirit, to fill your soul again. So you're humbly, humbly grateful for His 
drawing power. And you're just, you're just amazed. How could God be so, so good to you? Lately, when my wife and I have been talking together about God's goodness to us, she's been using this expression several times. We are just loaded with blessings. When you think of what you deserve and what you receive from this Father, this heavenly, almighty Father, who could justly cast us all away in a moment, were it not for this wonderful, sovereign, eternal, electing love, He loads you. He he almost like weighs you down with the magnitude of His blessings. And he does that, of course, because he can say to us, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, saith the Lord. He delights to load you with his blessings. And then he draws you with that load of blessings. He draws you to trust in his Son, whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He draws you, the Father draws you, to see His great wisdom, His love, His goodness, in not sparing His own Son, but delivering Him up for us all, so that all His people may trust in Him alone for salvation. So, what I'm saying is this. When you surrender yourself at the feet of the crucified and exalted Son and taste something of the unspeakable riches of having fellowship with the Father and the Son so that you praise them both by the Spirit and God God is the one doing the drawing. The Father is drawing you to that because His desire supersedes your corrupt flesh And he says, this people have I formed for myself. For myself. Therefore, they shall show forth my praise. So when we see our unworthiness over against God's worthiness, when we see that we deserve the curse and yet taste his blessing through his son, it just is so humbling. And we say, without thee, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. And by my God, I can run through a troop and climb over a wall because He draws me. Not because of anything I can be or do or accomplish. It is pure, amazing, sovereign, fatherly grace. But now notice in the second place, We're not just drawn by God the Father. We're drawn by God the Son. Look at the text. I drew them with the cords of a man. Isn't that interesting? The cords of a man. God the Father is never a man, obviously. These these words point us to Jesus and his own work in drawing you, dear believer, to himself as the God-man. Jesus 
bound himself. You got to get that. You got to understand that. With the cords of a man, Jesus bound himself with cords of everlasting love to save you, dear believer, even from eternity past. When he stepped forward in that eternal counsel of peace and said to his Father, Yea, Father, it is my will to obey thy will. And I, I yearn. I yearn to be the Savior of my people. You know, David puts it so well back in uh, Psalm 40. As the Father and the Son, as it were, converse with each other in that eternal counsel of peace. Then Psalm 40, verse 7, Jesus says to his Father these words, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. That's Jesus speaking. He's saying to his Father, Father, you're, you're asking me to suffer and to die for hell-worthy sinners. And Father, because it's thy will, and because thou hast given me love for the same sinners for which thou hast loved from everlasting love, I, I, I delight to do thy will. I, I, will, I will let myself be bound with the cords of a man. I will be the greater Isaac who will be bound on the altar of thy grace. O oh, Heavenly Father, I give myself away to thy sovereign, eternal, everlasting love to thy people. So I give myself away to those same people. I bind myself to fulfill the law for them with my perfect obedience. I bind myself to pay for all their sins through the high price of my own unspeakable sufferings, my accursed, painful, shameful death of the cross. I bind myself from all eternity to become, as it were, sin for you, dear believer, though I will know no sin, so that you may be drawn to me to become the righteousness of God in me or in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So how deeply, how deeply Christ is bound to pay the full price of your sins with the cords of a man in His human nature. So profoundly bound with the cords of a man that He uttered in His last hours the greatest cry of dereliction that ever passed through human lips in all of human history. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And the scoffer said, well, if Thou be the Christ, come down from the cross. Unbind Thyself and save Thyself in us. No, no, says Jesus. I'm bound with the cords of a man. I'm bound to fulfill the justice of God in the salvation of His people. I'm bound to the cross. I'm bound to die here voluntarily. I'm bound with the cords of everlasting love to my God and to my people. This is incredible love. Incredible love. He took my place that I might go free. And through His being bound, He draws me to Himself to be bound to Him for His sake. That's exactly 
Isn't that true? That's exactly what uh, we sing in, in Psalter uh, 426. David puts it so well here in Psalm 116. I am, O Lord, thy servant, bound yet free. Thy handmade son, whose shackles thou hast broken, redeemed by grace, set free by grace, I'll render as a token of gratitude my constant praise to thee. So Jesus is bound out of love to his Father and to his people to save them. And when we drink that in, when he draws us to the cross, we then, who have been bound, bound by our sins, captive by our sins, we're set free, but when we're set free, we're willing to be bound back to Him again. I am Thy servant, O Lord, bound yet free. Oh, how deeply Jesus was bound. Calvary was an ugly place. The passions of the mob surrounding Him, the sufferings of the soul penetrating Him, the distance of God overwhelming Him. All because of your sin, my sin. He's an alien from his father's house. The face of the father always turned to him in love and submission is now seems to be turned away. Everything about Calvary is so awful. Every insult heaped upon Jesus is so dreadful. So unjust, so sinful. The soldiers, the spectators, the priests, the elders in their holy robes of office, they're all focused on Him. All rejecting Him so that He can take your place, dear believer, to pay for every single sin you have committed, you are committing, you will commit in order to draw you by the cross back to himself. I drew them as father. I draw them as the son of man, bound with the cords of a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore it is worthy. He is worthy to be received by all sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy to be accepted of all that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is amazing love. This is amazing love. I drew them as father. I drew them as as son. And then the third place, I drew them with bands and cords of love is obviously also the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. Working that drawing in our soul. That eternal drawing of the Father. That Calvary drawing of the Son. Now becomes a drawing to regeneration. When the Holy Spirit passes us by and visits us as we lie polluted and bloodied in a field the field of our own blood, the field of our own sin, as, as Jeremiah puts it, and issues His divine command, live! And again I say unto you, live! And that drawing spirit at that moment, you see, just draws with an overwhelming power. It's not a drawing of force. 
Not a drawing of violence of force, but drawing, drawing of the violence of the heart, conquering the heart, so that we are drawn to this Savior. Drawn to see all our salvation in Him by the Spirit. And that Spirit continues that work all our lifetime. Always drawing us away from our self-righteousness. Always cutting us off from our own, our own righteousnesses, which are but filthy rags. And then always leading us to Christ. Always leading us to the things of Christ. This is His mission. This is His goal. He's drawing us to the beauty, the fullness, the righteousness, the all-in-allness, the sufficiency, the redemption, the prophetical, priestly, kingly ministry, the states, the natures, the person, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all our sanctification, from the moment we're regenerated and justified till our dying breath, our dying day, is within us, the drawing work of the Spirit. For He comes and takes up His abode within us. Without this Holy Spirit, all our Christianity would be a sham. All of it. But this Spirit is the one who lifts us up from the horrible pit and the miry clay of our sinful depravity and sets our feet upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and establishes, Psalm 40, verse 2, establishes all our goings in Him on the rock of ages. And the fruit of that? Well, the fruit of it is that we cry out hundreds of times, thousands of times in our life, draw me, draw us, and we will run after Thee. Again and again and again. Even when we're prone to backslide from God, the Spirit comes back He doesn't cast us away, but He draws us back to the things of Jesus. He draws us to make us willing in the day of His power. Oh, what a blessed triune God. I, Father, Son, and Spirit, drew you, dear believer, with the bands of a man. Do you know something of that? Experientially, something of that drawing power? Maybe you've never put it in Trinitarian terms. That's okay. But do you know what it means to be drawn by God to God? To see your only hope is in Jesus Christ. And you belong at the Lord's table. He wants to feed you. He wants to refresh you. And as we'll see Sunday morning, He wants to give you rest. And nourishment. He wants to take the yoke off your jaws. He wants to nourish. He wants to lay meat before you. Real meat. The meat of His promises. The meat of His bloody sacrifice. The meat of His constant intercessions. The meat of His salvation. So if you want to know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit better... You don't stay away from the Lord's Supper. If you long to know them better, if you long to be drawn more into communion with this triune God, you come as that unworthy sinner. You can't stay away. He desires to endear Himself 
in communing with his people, he says, with great desire have I desired to have this last meal with you. To his, what? Sleeping disciples, denying disciples, uh, fearing disciples, uh, proud disciples, arguing who was the greatest. I want to do this with you, he says. I draw them. I draw them. So may God draw you, dear child of God, to his, to his supper, to his meal, this coming Lord's Day, because he desires to have this feast with you as a remembrance feast to remember him, as a strengthening feast to strengthen your weak faith, as a covenanting feast to covenant himself again to you and so that you are resolved to covenant yourself back again to Him. As a witnessing feast, so you declare to the whole congregation, I cannot live my own life out of my own righteousness. I need the Lord Jesus Christ. As a God-glorifying feast, that you focus on His Son and through Him on the triune God and rejoice in this triple I, this Trinitarian drawing God. And perhaps most of all, not just a remembrance, strengthening, covenant, and witnessing, God-glorifying feast, but a love feast. A love feast. We do love Him. Despite all our shortcomings. Thou knowest all things, Lord. Thou knowest that I love You. We come to grow in that love and to receive that love from the hand of the drawing triune God. If you know a little bit of that spirit work love, you know what it means to be moved with love to God through Christ. And he says, come and do that in remembrance of me. But on the other hand, I need to tell you, if you don't want to know God better, if you've never been made a looker for Him, as Hebrews 9, 28 describes God's people, if you can live without Him, no problem. The Lord's Supper is not for you. You need to be born again. The question for you is not, shall I come to the Lord's Supper? The question for you is, what must I do to be saved? You need to repent of your sin. You need to ask the Spirit to give you that faith in Christ that makes Christ exceedingly precious to draw you to the triune God. Don't rest until you too can say, God draws me. God draws me with the cords of a man, with the bands of love. Amen. Gracious God, we thank Thee so much for Thy drawing power. Amazing power. Amazing love. Amazing faithfulness. We thank Thee, Father, Heavenly Father, Redeeming Son, Sanctifying Spirit, for Thy drawing power. Draw us tonight, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and again on the Lord's Day. Not just to come to Thy table, but draw us into Thy sweet communion. Draw us by lifting us up to heavenly places. Draw us to help us see that in Christ 
is everything we need for this life and the better one to come. Draw us with the cords of a man, thy son, with the bands of love, eternal, everlasting, triune love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.